Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 101 of Dialing the Gate. Dial the Gate. Di- 101, and I can't even get the name of my own show right. Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thanks so much for being with us here. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer of Stargate SG-1 Atlantis Universe, is uh, with us, ready to go here. Um, so this is a brand new season, season two. And I appreciate you being part of it. I am so thankful that we are almost to 20,000 friggin' subscribers. I had no idea that that was going to happen over the summer. So very thankful for all of you being here. Interested to see how many show up in the live stream um, this weekend. We have Joe right now. We have Colin in a couple of hours. And then David uh, Hewlett one hour after that. So if this is your first live stream, this is how we do it. Join us in the uh, YouTube live chat if you want to submit questions for Joe. Those questions are going to take up the second half of our presentation today. We have moderators standing by uh, collecting those questions uh, and uh, sending them over to me. And so that's what we're going to used for the second half. So we're going to get your questions answered. For the first half, um, it's me and Joe. We're going to catch up a little bit. We're going to talk about a couple of things. Uh, Season uh, two of Stargate Atlantis is the focus for this particular uh, episode because we've been going through the entire franchise with him a season at a time. It's been a really refreshing retrospective um, to uh, process to have. But before we get started, if you like Stargate, and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean so much if you click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will continue to help the show grow its audience. And please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click that subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. Clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. And stay tuned after Joseph Malazzi, we're going to take a look at some of the new pieces of hardware that have been uh, uh, submitted by fans, and I want to give them credit where credit is due, and may give you a peek at something else if you're really good. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer, Stargate, welcome back, my friend. How are you? 101 and 10. So you make up 10% of my show, and it's a good 10%. So, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't that be great? No. <laughs> oh, because I feel as though give it another year and I'll remember even less. It's funny because, like, I frequent the Reddit, uh, the Stargate subreddit. And occasionally someone will have a very specific question about an episode I wrote. And I will, I mean, I'll obviously remember the episode, 
but uh, I will not remember the details and be unable to answer the question. I somewhere um, I've got it fixed. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's particularly it's it's not like you guys didn't do just a little bit of content over over the years. You guys, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine uh, you know coming in every the beginning of every single season and going okay. What haven't we done? You know, and what you've what you've uh, indicated before is that you know it. So much of it was built on uh, what uh, came of every season was built on what came before and informed so much of what you did next. But I would still be like, you know, I've got to try something fresh, I've, or I'm just gonna, you know you know, bash my brains in on this because, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't, not everything can just rely on something that came before, you know, you want to always grow as, uh, as a writer and as a creator. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's, it's something I mentioned in previous episodes, uh, that writing Stargate became actually a lot easier because we had built that backstory and those various storylines that we could go, you know, and, and, and kind of mine moving forward. It's those standalone stories, mm. while fresh and exciting, uh, they always prove very challenging to come up with. On looking back through this journey that we've gone together, do you find the standalone stories stand out a little bit more in your positive category in your mind in, in going through these? Or more of the ongoing A to B to C to D arc stories? Personally, for me, I always find the standalone stories um, stand out the most. I look at um, episodes like Window of Opportunity. We did, a, I mean, almost all of them in our in our, uh, our first season, season four of SG-1, were all standalone stories. Uh, the Curse and, um, um, gosh, A Point of No Return. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I look at, at other standalones like um, uh, Revisions from SG-1. That's yes. one of my favorite ripple effect another one yeah. of my favorites and uh one in stargate atlantis season four i always forget the information tabula rasa no it was the one we did the three different storylines and uh and we uh i explored Sunday. uh oh. w- uh no, no woolsey's love life with the uh oh yes with the a with the ascension um the yes. sakari Yes, yes, yes. Sakari Atlantis. That was the episode Remnants. Remnants. I always say it starts <laughs> with the R. Yeah. And that was like, you know, one of those particularly satisfying episodes where uh, it's a standalone uh, and yet you've got multiple storylines going on that, you know, find a way to dovetail at the end. Those Correct. were always my favorites. And you have, it's it's also another example of, what you can do in this genre that you can't do in any others. I mean, you bring back Shepard's, as in my opinion, arch enemy um, mm-hmm. for a terrific uh, coda, if you will. Yeah. So, but we'll get to that in a couple of right, minutes. right, right. <laughs> season two of Atlantis was going on concurrently with season nine of SG One. This is your second season of doing forty stories. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you recall any feelings going into that for the second go around that, okay, we're not doing 22, we're doing 40 for another year? Paint a picture of what's going on in in season two. You know, I liken it to when 
I had one dog and then <laughs> I got two dogs and I was like, wow, this is, this is very different. And then I got three dogs and people would think, wow, that's even, you know, harder to do. And in fact, no, actually three wasn't much harder. Uh, three dogs weren't really that much harder to take care of than two. And it was much the same way. I mean, after that initial shock uh, and you adjust, you mm. make an adjustment and you learn how to produce 40 hours uh, of television a year and we did it and uh, we proved we could do it. So heading into the second season of uh, Atlanta's a nice season of it, SG1, we knew that we could do it. So, I mean, there was really n- no pressure, although, I mean, you know, looking at 40 ep- episodes of television, <laughs> sorry, uh, you know, heading into the year, it does feel a little insurmountable. No one does that anymore. I don't think, you know, yeah. Um, your your horsepower also increased too with the number of staff writers that you had. It's important to point that out. How many staff mm-hmm. writers did you guys have in season seven of SG One versus say season two of Atlantis? You added Martin Garrow. You added no. <clears throat> someone. Did Carl Binder came. Carl in. came in. That's it. I'm sorry, Carl. Yeah. So that yeah. must have that must have infused. Um, it it absolutely did. I mean, whenever you bring a new writer into the room, they will you say infuse the creative with kind of a whole new, um, I guess, spirit. Mm-hmm. And Martin and Carl, just great to work with, fantastic writers. And each of them had, obviously, their own strengths and what they brought to to the show. And, and I mean, you look at their episodes and, uh, you know, Martin did a lot of the big epic episodes, uh, whereas Carl did a lot of sort of the fantastic character-driven episodes. Contemplative, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, great character episodes. And, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it certainly injected new life, I think, into the franchise as a whole. I had Carl on in season one. Mm-hmm. And I would probably have to say Before I Sleep is up there in terms of my favorite one that he did. And we were having the discussion about that episode – and I love just the nucleus of the idea. Mm-hmm. And he k- turned to me and said, actually, that was Joe's. <laughs> what if the first know. time that we ha- experienced this is not the first time that it actually happened? He said that that was your idea. Oh, I don't. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't recall. It's very kind of him to say, though. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, to, to be honest with you, it's just, you know, it, it, there's so many stories that have been done before that if you can just find like a little twist um, just to make it um, different. And, 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 you know, if I came up with that idea, great. But at the end of the day, he wrote what was, I think, one of the best uh, Atlanta scripts over the show's five seasons. Season two comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had the almost obligatory at this point for Stargate Main enemy has come to attack us by season end of season one. What do we do? Mm-hmm. We fought them off. Um, it's just one of those in this context, you know, in, in this story that, that you do, just kind of the story that has to be told. Uh, right. We introduced the Daedalus. So yes. I think you guys expanded the spaceships, the Prometheus set for the Daedalus in season two. Am I not mistaken about that? Definitely the bridge um, was redesigned. Right. Um, yes, yes. I mean... Just because we wanted to make more of, I mean, kind of expand uh, mm-hmm. our, our, our world a little, we did. Although, I mean, I look back on it and even it, even though we did expand the set, 
feel as though we were still walking through the same, you know, <laughs> 25 feet of, uh, of corridor. And I remember I actually, it was, uh, I forget which episode it was, but it was Martin Wood and how he would do the walk and talking to be walking, walking along. And, and if you're watching the show, they're walking along and they take a left or they take a left and they end up walking, they take a right, they take another right, they take a left and it looks all very different. But really what was happening was they were doing the walk and talk. And as we were shooting the walk and talk, you know, the, the, the set dressers were adjusting the, the turn so that instead of wow. like a left turn, we would take a right turn and, be, and you know, flipping out, switching out uh, plaques and, and, you know, making the, the corridor look different. So it was essentially the same corridor. In real time. Walking down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The only time that I remember, and this is a quick aside, the only time that I remember going, okay, guys, come on, is in the, in the season four finale, Exodus, Carmen is, I can't remember which, which uh, uh, SG, SG team members, they're, they're doing a circle on the Gould set. I mean, they're making four 90 degree turns and they just keep on going. <laughs> and it's like, okay, where are you going? <laughs> you <know? laughs> uh, yeah. What a, what a gorgeous uh, set. And, you know, you guys added to that over the years um, with, with plexiglass pieces and everything mm-hmm. else. And I think you really got a lot of mileage out of that. The other thing that you guys got a lot of mileage out of is a certain actor by the name of, I think his name is Moma? Momoa. Jason right. Momoa. Yes. Yeah. First so, impressions of him. Um, you know, it's funny. We were looking for a new character. And Rob Cooper, uh, I think I mentioned this before. I mean, he, we were all fans of Survivor. And there was a character called Rupert, uh, who was kind of a fan favorite. And he was kind of this happy-go-lucky, uh, almost, you know, sort of... Uh, um, you know, sort of huge guy, well, kind of larger than life character. And he's like, I want a Rupert. I want a Rupert. And in Survivor. He was a character. He was, he was one of the contestants in Survivor, okay. but he wanted a Rupert-like character for <laughs> like this bigger than life character. And we were looking to cast. And I remember, you know, we were looking, looking. And then Rob's like, this is the guy. And we saw Jason Momoa and it was perfect. And we're like, this is the guy. And uh, MGMO was like, actually, no, we like this soap opera actor uh and we're like no that's not the guy at all and uh and of course rob went you know to battle and we ended up casting uh, uh jason momoa and and um you know one of my favorite characters obviously on atlantis ended up writing some uh, so was he an offer or did episodes. he submit a tape i believe he submitted a tape okay Okay. I mean, I think he was coming up. What did he do? North Shore and Baywatch? Baywatch was the, the only thing I remembered him yeah. on. And I'd only seen yeah. it like a couple of episodes. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I remember Brad saying we wanted him to be dangerous. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, the, they really had this kind of – I don't know if the Chewbacca thing was intentional with – with with Shepard, um, no, that was not. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I would say that was not intentional. In fact, actually, that line uh, calling him Chewy was a uh, an ad lib by uh, uh, Joe Flanagan. Of course, it was. <laughs> oh. Jeez, did you think that that? Um, how do you feel about how uh, Ronan's character evolved over the series? Do you think you guys took him interesting places? Do you think you didn't do enough with them? Or do you think it was a, a good balance? I think it was a good balance. 
I mean, you know, look back at the at the episodes we did. We explored his backstory. We showed like different sides of him. I know um, Jason would often come by the the office and he'd be like, you know, I want to go. For instance, he you know he he said I want to go dark side next season. So I was like, okay, fine. And so uh, we ended up doing um, was it uh, Broken Ties? I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, and that, I, I think that was probably his best performance on Atlantis because he did it all in that episode. Um, you know, did Dark Side kind of went through that kind of like weird withdrawal uh, at the end of the episode. Um, so, I mean, definitely, I would say he he got his share of the of, of the spotlight just simply because I love the character and uh, I enjoyed writing for him. So, I mean, I certainly did my part. Absolutely. You know, and you look at what Rob did in, in season three, basically giving him a movie with Satita. Yeah. There was yeah. a there was a lot of um of, of road to cover there. Let's take a look at uh some of your episodes this season. So the Siege Part two, okay, was season one. The yeah. Intruder. This is oh, in- season, season the Siege Part three though. Oh, sorry, that was Martin Gale. Yes, yes, sorry. Yeah. Right. yeah, The Intruder, yes. The Intruder. So this is a almost a bottle show in and of yeah. itself because they're on the spaceship going back, taking the two-week journey back to uh, Atlantis. What was your approach for Intruder and um, the Wraith virus? You know, I think we wanted to sort of create one of those uh, was locked room mysteries. And, you know, what better way to do that than in a spaceship? I mean, you can't get any more isolated than that. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of fun. I, I, you know, I, uh, and, I, and again, it was, it, was, it was an opportunity to show off our new set. And, um, yeah. And you're tying up a lot of loose threads from season one. We're resolving... Um, Shepard is now a colonel, mm-hmm. and we're resolving Weir's uh, relationship with Simon. Mm-hmm. And there's there's just a lot of a lot of uh, of closure there. Shepard visits. Uh, uh, I, was, I was about to, I was just about to say Rainbow's family. Like that's wrong. It's Ford's mm-hmm. Ford's mm-hmm. family, and, ex- and explains what what happened uh, as yeah. best he can. You know, there's um, the the slower moments of that episode. I'm I'm the bigger. Uh, fan of and i would argue that atlantis didn't do slow nearly as much as like sg1 or universe did it was much more of an action focused show but when mm-hmm. when you got those actors sitting down in a in a more um comfortable setting not running and gutting you know given the script they could act mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, it's always very satisfying to be able to explore uh aspects of the characters, their backstories, their side stories, their relationships, um, you know, or, or obviously over the course of, of, of various seasons. But, um, you know, just like you said, you know, the, having Shepard go back and, 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 and see um, uh, Ford's parents or, or Ford's family um, dealing with uh, Rear's fallout with Simon, um, they're essentially housekeeping beats, right? Really, they 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 all go to character, and and at the end of the day, you know, as I've often said, viewers viewers will tune in for the hook, but they stay for the characters. Right. And 
Stargate fans love the characters and, and just anything you can do to sort of shed some light on these characters is always greatly appreciated. So, I mean, I agree with you. I, I always prefer the character moments over the run and gun or obviously, you know, even like the mystery element of this particular episode. Having said those things, the show also stretches its, stretches its legs with the F-302s. We get really mm. an extended dogfight between a couple of F-302s that was, that was really a lot of fun to watch. The visual effects of Atlantis were really beginning to come together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Mark Savella, <laughs> supervisor. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's funny that you can look back and, you know, every year the look of the show just evolves and progresses. Mm -hmm. And of course that also has to do with the fact that you bank those visual effects, those, those, you know, um, the, you know, the ships and, and, and what have you. So you, you know, you don't have to spend money on, on another uh, Daedalus. You already have uh, it models. Uh, so you can spend money on bigger and, 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 and better stuff. I mean, uh, that was was always the great thing about science fiction is sort of every year from a visual effects standpoint, you top the year before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This season also uh, introduced the probably one one of, if not the core villain for Atlantis. Connor mm -hmm. Trenier mm -hmm. came in and played a human that turned out to be a wraith. And anyone who was reading spoilers at the time knew well in advance what was going on uh, before the episode. This is the thing that I hate about spoilers. It's like, why? Yeah. You know, why do these things leak? And if mm -hmm. you're wa you haven't seen season two of Atlantis yet and you're watching this, I'm sorry. But it was one of the coolest reveals um, that you guys did over the years. Tell us about yeah. that. So that that was interesting because when you mentioned... Carl saying, I came up with the idea for uh, Before I Sleep. Originally, the plan for Michael was they captured the wraith. They were going through the experimentation. We're reading the pilot. And I, and it was good. It was a good. Uh, sorry, we were reading the outline. And it was good. But I was like, you know what would be cool? If we, you know, we don't know. The audience doesn't know. And so rather than, than introducing the test subject from the beginning, we don't know what's going on until that mid episode reveal where you get that horrific shot of the, of the wraith of Michael, original Michael. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it's like, it, again, it's just kind of a small thing, but um, it just brought that episode uh, together. And, and, and I mean, Carl is such a fantastic writer, especially when it comes to character. Yes. And you felt sorry for the character, yet at the same time, uh, you feared him. And, uh, you know, it, it was a very nuanced character, and Connor Trenier did a, a fantastic job. Well, what's the thing that separates sci-fi from other genres? Sci-fi is about ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the core distinguishing factor, in my opinion. And you have a chance by adjusting the narrative direction, just like you're just like you're you're turning like a telescope to to change the focus on on um, instead of on our allies on our enemy mm -hmm. and have mm -hmm. us really sit in his shoes for a little bit here and say, okay, you know, the wraith, did they ask to be the way they are? 
We mm-hmm. eventually find out the ancients made them. They didn't ask to be this way, but they mm-hmm. are what they are, you know, and they are, it's, it's a crappy situation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and like you said, it, it puts us in their shoes and, and allows us to, if not empathize and certainly sympathize with them a little. And, uh, and, and that's why I think in, in subsequent seasons, the Michael character garnered such a uh, huge kind of fan support because in a way kind of they felt sorry for him and they understood him uh, even if they didn't uh, necessarily excuse his behavior. Well, sure. Absolutely. The Tower. Yes. I loved the idea of another city. Yes. Yes. And that it was taken over by the pettiest of people. Yes. <laughs> I, Jay Brizzo I, is back. Yes, yes. And um, who's the actor? Brendan. Um, uh, Darren was a huge fan of this guy. Let me see here. The bald gentleman. Um, no. No? No. Uh, I'm Let's see here. I'll pull it up for you. Please. Uh, Peter Woodward, Jay Brizzo, David great, great. Bloom. Great. Brendan Fraser, Tavius. Yes. Brendan B- Beiser. Beezer? Brendan Beiser. Yeah, Beiser. Yeah. Yes. Tavius. Fantastic. 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 I just for, for him, that episode stood out for me. Now that one, I I I um at this point in our uh Stargate run, Paul and I were writing our scripts separately. Okay. So uh this was his script. Okay. Um that I you know I, I think was a lot of fun. I love like all the performances were, were great, but Brendan's especially just really stood out to me. This episode, I remember because uh, the network hated it. and They did? Yes. We would get on, on our conference calls and talk to them. And I think we, we delivered the first draft, or Paul delivered the first draft. And they were like, well, we don't like it. And, and it takes too long for, for the action to get going. And, uh, and so we tried to sort of talk it out with them. And they were pretty adamant. And uh, and then Paul, it's funny because when, when we used to be on conference calls and the network would give us notes, I was always the one who'd be like, I don't know if we can do that. Whereas Paul would always be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can. Yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. And then when we sit down to do the rewrite, he'd be like, I don't think we can do this. Uh, <laughs> but in this case, they 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 just wanted to throw out this, this script completely, which Paul found completely um, kind of unhelpful so and he's like well what you know and in situations situations like that you always you know if if the notes are i had to say but uh, not constructive you look for the spirit of the note what is it they're bumping up against so he's trying to find that right. out and it became a very combative uh situation on that call and i was sitting there and um paul's like well no i'm not going to do this rewrite and then um, the executive was like, well, we don't accept this episode. And Paul was like, okay, fine, then don't accept the episode and hung up. And, uh, and that was that. And it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, um, I mean, we, we, we'd had conflict with the, with the network on, you know, other aspects, creative aspects of the series. But was but, that a peak of that? I mean, no, would that no, be, it wasn't a peak. Wow. Uh, okay. But, um, you know, it was one that stood out for me just because, uh, the extent of the note and uh, 
uh, Paul's atypical response to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Joe and I are smiling at each other because there is backstory behind this episode. And I, I'm not going to speak too much about that, only to say that had Darren and I known that going in, you know, I think in in analyzing and and reviewing uh, that episode for Gateworld, um, mm-hmm. our approach and in terms of what the reviewers uh, that we had at the time were saying, I think probably would have been a little different knowing the sensitivity to uh, the, the hurdles that you guys had to overcome just to get the darn thing on the air. Mm-hmm. You know, that's... Uh, that's that's quite the story, you, and you know you don't really think about those kinds of situations when you're watching the number of the number of people, and and processes that each script has to go through in order to just get yeah. just go in front the of the camera. At the end of the day, there's there's no reason the audience should know that or need to know that. But I mean, it's different with every episode. It's different with every, you know. I mean, I, I can tell you how many times, you know, um, someone will comment on. I mean, I remember when we were. Uh, working on Stargate, that fans would like, you know, this writer wrote such a great episode. You know, why are they not being able to write more episodes? And in my mind, I'm like, well, actually, that writer was totally rewritten by Brad Wright. Yeah. Brad Wright wrote that script. Yeah. But he can't, he's not going to publicly say that. No, it's so, politics. And yeah, it's not yeah. right. So, yeah. So. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. No, it's. <clears throat> Having said all that, was there, out of genuine curiosity, mm-hmm. was there any um, script that ever came along that the network said, leave it as it is, we love it? Or was it a was it a, a group of people or a body that always had just had to justify their existence? I, I never call an episode where they said, good job. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I will have wow. to say, though, on the flip side, um, we had Charlie Cohen at MGM, oh. the vice president of, uh, and he was he uh, he was a a Stargate fan, but always an overall science fiction fan as well. And he was our biggest supporter, obviously within MGM. But he genuinely loved the show. He genuinely loved the characters, and he would always let us know which. I got to tell you, being having been in this industry for so long, it's so rare for that to happen. I mean, it does happen, but it's rare. What What would he let you know? I mean, just I love this episode okay. or, you know, this is great. I mean, even after uh, Stargate ended, he would drop me an email out of the blue and he's like, I'm watching Dark Matter. Uh, you know, I love Dark Matter. You know, uh, Melissa's great as two and, and, you know. He's, uh, like I said, just a very genuine uh, sci-fi fan. He just is. a good guy and, and a great executive. He is. I, I, I would suspect. I've had the privilege of meeting him a couple of times and just a, just a mm-hmm. standout guy. I'm hoping to get him on the show. You know? Oh, that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Season two ends with allies, which, you know what? Let me back up. Let me back up before we get there. There's mm-hmm. there's a whole whole list of episodes that I'd love to get your like thoughts on. Um, right. We brought Ford back, and really, uh, if 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 Rainbow's in the room, he would probably mm-hmm. say that 
and he has said before that, you know, he got to act this season. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he really, really found something for him to to chew on that 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 worked. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did you feel about the return of that character and and the uh, the wraith enzyme and giving giving um, that character really his his due uh, this season? I, look, I mean, every time you turn a character dark side. Uh, he he becomes infinitely he or she becomes infinitely more interesting and the actor portraying them uh loves it so i mean (laughs) i agree i found the ford character a lot more interesting uh in this season um you know just because a i mean obviously because he went dark side but also you know created that kind of very unique storyline for him uh, that really set him apart and uh, and and you know, as as Rainbow said, he really you know sunk his teeth into into the role in that in that turn of character. One of uh, Martin Garrow's uh, more recognized episodes is Duet, mm-hmm. and for me, this for better or for worse mm-hmm. uh, was an early sign of taking the show into a more lighter frothier uh funnier direction and tone than uh, sg1 in my opinion mm-hmm. um what are your thoughts on that i don't know if i agree i mean i look back okay. at episodes like window of opportunity and yeah. point of no return and and wormhole extreme and i do think we never really did that many episodes like that on atlantis i mean there was there's duet but then i think back to harmony was another one I remember being in the room for that one and really sort of, you know, uh, being very involved in the breaking of that episode just because I, I just love that premise. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, also, you know, Martin Garrow is a very funny guy and, uh, you know, <laughs> let him do what he does very well. And that's, uh, you know, convey humor. That's that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a, a great guest uh, performance in that episode. And the name is blanking on me, so I am going to to look her up. Jamie Ray Newman, Mm -hmm. absolutely, who we saw once again in uh, later on in the season with uh, Critical Mass. Was Mm -hmm. there ever a hope or consideration to bringing her back after that? Um, Again, like you know, most characters, you always have like the best of intentions when you introduce them, and Mm -hmm. and. uh, and they pop, and Jamie was terrific, and I really liked the character. But, I mean, as, as you know, it's, it, production is such a machine. Sometimes, creatively, you end up heading in, in, in another direction, and, and the storylines that you may have wanted to pursue mm. suddenly become um, unpursuable, mm-hmm. if you will. There was a rumor... I heard. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that this was actually. I think this may have been confirmed that at some point in the script for Grace Under Pressure, she was supposed to be the officer in the front part of the jumper that sacrificed herself for McKay. Yes, that does sound familiar. Yeah, and then yeah. you guys changed that just in case you wanted to bring her back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. All right. The long goodbye. That was mm. that was another um, one of my favorites for that season, giving uh, yeah. giving Tori a chance to Tori. run and gun. Yes, um, tearing it up. Absolutely, it's just another great sci-fi premise. You know, this mm-hmm. it really reminded me a lot of "Let That Be Your Last Battlefield" from uh, from the original uh, Star Trek series, 
where mm-hmm. you've got two people who just aren't going to put an end to their struggle and are just going yeah. to basically do whatever they have to do to wipe themselves out, even if it mm-hmm. means yeah. putting another civilization or a group of people in their way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it de- you know, now that you mentioned it, definitely has that that feel. Yes. <laughs> Allies, we wrap up the season mm-hmm. with the wonderful return of Andy Frizzell, who had mm-hmm, been back mm-hmm. for the midseason uh, two-parter, and James Lafazanos uh, as as the various uh, as the various wraith. He plays a wraith scientist in this one. Um, we are creating a substance which turns the wraith human, mm-hmm. and they can then turn around and eat those humans. Mm-hmm. Pretty. Dark? shaky water yeah absolutely oh, or yeah ethically ambiguous right design. exactly yeah suspect so, who uh yeah. do you recall who came up with that original idea i mean i guess it was kind of grown out of the idea for the hoffen drug you know if we can if we can protect yeah. ourselves from them maybe we can transform them to, to yes er- I, erase I, the iratus bug i do not recall who came okay. up with that one yeah i i don't think it was me I <laughs> don't use me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I love I love those types of situations. Those kind of, uh, um, I guess, morally ambiguous mm. um, scenarios. Okay. Like uh, you know, um, I think it was season three or four where uh, uh, Shepard makes the decision to uh, feed uh, this kind of dying man to the uh, to the wraith. Or okay is the decision. It was very dark, and I remember the fans uh, complained. Uh, but I do like placing our characters in those ethical dilemmas. That was Miller's Crossing, yes. I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other one that that continually gets me is um, Fran creating mm-hmm. a sentient uh, uh, life form as a bomb. Yeah, yeah. So, and that performance was was so wonderful yeah. that you guys brought her back in in season five, which I thought was, you know bringing that character back in some way or actress back was just just dynamite. She was she was fantastic. Was it a Morgan? Yes, um, Michelle Morgan. Michelle Morgan. Yes, That's, hey, there she you go. Yes, my memory's not. It's it's only fifty percent. I think you're bad. doing. I yeah. think you're doing just yeah. fine. Yeah, Joe, this is uh, this is terrific to go through um, uh, this season and, and this pull is, out all the little pieces. Yeah. This is this, this was a sort of a lighter Atlantis yeah. season in terms of writing for me because I was you know at the time we were doing both SG One and Atlantis and we'd brought Carl on, we'd brought uh, Martin on, so they'd done most of the heavy lifting uh, on Atlantis, whereas I uh, really focused more on uh, SG One at the time. What what season was this? This would have been eight? season nine, season of nine. SG One. So, yeah. I mean, in many ways, it's the it's the new show. You know, mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm, essentially mm-hmm. Stargate Command, and yeah. you've you've yeah. got a whole yeah. expanded sandbox to play in yeah. there. Yeah. So, um, what would a typical? I don't think I've ever really asked you this, and I was I was curious. How often would the would all of you meet together to hash out stories? Was it a specific? section of of a of a week no or no season or would you meet every day for x hours to do xyz not at all it was never that um um it it was never scheduled the problem was that no the problem was that we were constantly writing if we were not constantly writing they were constantly prepping 
episodes. If you want prepping episodes, then we're either in post on on episodes or or dealing with what have you. So to be honest, it was half the time. <coughs> pardon me. You're all good. Half yeah, half the time uh, we wouldn't we weren't able to get all of us together. So oh wow, okay. Like for instance, there'd be times when, for instance, Martin would um, have sort of a, a, a an idea, and he would want to spin. So we would just go around to every office and say, "Hey, okay. I want to spin. You know, are, are you available? <laughs> and you know, I would be writing a script, and I'd be like, "Sure, I can take some time off." And we'd head into the room and we'd spin for a few hours. So more often than not, that's the way it worked. Now, at the beginning, or sorry, at the end of every season is when we would all be able to get together because at that point, you know, more or less our work was done and we would be able to all concentrate on, you know, the look ahead to next season. And then when we came back, that's when we would be able to sort of get together. And then as sort of the production machine rolled, we rolled along, we, you know, all kind of went our separate ways and became harder and harder for us to sort of convene. Wow, I didn't really look at it that way. I always assumed mm. that you guys were in constant meetings all together as a group, but that's no, not necessarily not. really efficient. And depending on the no, process. because I mean, as I pointed out, I mean, you know, Rob could be uh, writing a script while Brad could be in meetings prepping an episode, while Martin could be on set dealing with the episodes of shooting, while I would be maybe in editing, dealing, you know, finishing up. Uh, post on another episode so you know just you know by the nature of the production uh, machine it it was very rare for all of us to be free at the same time and i'm sure all of you are like doctors on call to be ready to put out any kind of half a dozen a dozen two dozen fires quote unquote that may come up in production that you have to tackle drop everything and tackle immediately Yes, exactly. You know, like, exactly. Or like something downstairs on set is not working. We've got to revise this portion of the script or so-and-so is mm-hmm. not getting out of the others uh, out of their trailer until other so-and-so does, which I don't think happened that much on, on the show. No, no, no. It was more <laughs> sort of a, a John and Ponch thing from Chips, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. But man, what a ride. Yeah. Oh, and in all of that, dealing with the weather of Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um. Let's go to fan questions. Great. All right. So thank you all for being so patient and submitting. Let's see what we got here. Jordan Edmund wanted to know, Joe, how did the tower become so covered with mountains and buried? Was it just there over time or was there something else going on, you think? No. In like, the terms idea, of the setup I, for that episode? Yeah, no. The idea was, be, it was that it had been there a good long time. Okay. And you're right. I mean, in terms of a premise, you know, it, you know I look back and and uh, on the various stories we did, and that was one that I think a we could have exploited more and really, uh, I think, you know, kind of delved into beyond the episode we we did. Um, I I honestly think that you know it it sets up a larger question that really should have been answered before the end of the series mm-hmm. and wasn't mm-hmm. because if mm-hmm. Atlantis is considered to be the crown jewel of the ancient domain, um, what was this place? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was, you know, 
at least the command tower is certainly the case. Was it identical to Atlantis, or was it like a what was it like a? I can't remember if it was. Ex- I guess it was an exact duplicate of the city. I always imagined that there was like some kind of sci-fi explanation where the the city had been twinned somehow, and that that was just mm-hmm. it was a fluke. You know that mm-hmm. it was perhaps actually an Atlantis from an alternate reality. So mm-hmm. Atlantis really was the crown jewel of the ancient yeah. domain. Yeah, but something funky had happened, and we got more drones. Yeah, <laughs> Jet Ison. Uh, I know you did a few guest spots, but could you see yourself taking on a recurring role in a in a future series? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I could do something like you know, like a Boba Fett, where I'm, you know I'm pretty much covered all the time. And, right. And You're you taking just, part in it. Yeah. You can treat my voice, and and I wouldn't have to convey a uh, wide range of emotions. So in that respect, I think that would be pretty cool. But uh, outside of that, unlikely. But thank you for asking. You uh, you gonna you excited about the Book of Boba Fett? I I believe we discussed this. I got off the Star Wars bandwagon with Revenge uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, my yeah. apologies. My yeah, apologies. Yeah. So I, I don't I, even did, know what that is. I, okay. I don't even know what that is. Understood. That's all good. <laughs> Gate gap. Does Suji have cosplay outfits from any of your shows? Uh, sadly, she does not have uh, any cosplay outfits. All, all, my, my wife uh, ended up making her a Nibbler outfit. Oh, uh, I was you like, know, you dress her, from, I'm pretty uh, sure. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's about <laughs> the extent of her cosplay. Oh, uh, gosh, that's funny. Uh, Aurora, Goran Andonowski. Aurora was an excellent episode. Have you considered... Did you consider introducing more ancient warships to be, to be found by the Atlantis team? Beyond that episode, we did not. Okay. I mean, what often happens is, I mean, to be honest, if you pitch an idea for an episode, because you wrote it more often than not, if it turns out well, you kind of, it's an idea you sort of you want to go back to. So, for instance, you know, we did, I, I wrote Reunion for, for Jason and um, Mark Dacascos was amazing uh, guest star. And I just kind of love that setup. So when Jason came in and kind of pitched Ronan going dark side, I came up with essentially the sequel to that episode and was able to revisit the episode. And, and the reason we were able to do it was because I'd done the episode and I loved the first episode and I wanted to do the second episode. So I don't recall who wrote Aurora. Um, so if... That would be a really more question for them if they really wanted to push it. Let's have a look here. Yeah. That was... I know Martin Wood directed it. Oh, Carl Binder. Carl Binder wrote the yeah. teleplay. Story yeah. by Brad and Carl. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've got... Uh... Where is it? Where is it? One of the ancient stunners. From I was going to say, hey, you're you're holding it upside down. Yeah, yeah. Ancient ice cream cones. You know, awesome. as soon as okay. So here's my my beef with your continuity. Mm-hmm. As soon as you guys introduce, is these it my things, my personally my continuity or just general your, general your like yeah, yeah. all to all yeah. the Stargate mm-hmm. production. Yeah. As soon as these things were introduced, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you should have found a cache of them in Atlantis because Atlantean mm-hmm. technology from that era. You yeah. know, um, yeah. and they and look at this. Still lights. Amazing. Original battery. Amazing. <laughs> oh, and it says uh, made in China in, in ancient. So Amazing. But, you know, substitution. 
Also, a lot of it had to do with the cast members and what they felt comfortable ah, wielding. So, okay. for instance, we talk about the P90s and the fact that we use the P90s, whereas I think the military had moved past the P90s at that point. But we yeah. used them because the cast found them very comfortable because the way they rested, they, they were, always, were always able to kind of yeah. rest their, their arms on, on the P90. So they liked the P90s, so we kept the P90. So given a choice between a sidearm or one of those things, I think the cast would have <laughs> much preferred the sidearms. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Absolutely. And it may have just been standard issue on board the spaceships. Right. So that that's completely fair as well. Yeah, I guess, you know, when you think about it that way, creature comforts for the actors, mm-hmm. you know, they would they would have a lot of the last say on a number of different things, I would think, yeah. if given the Well, I mean, the their input, obviously. Yeah. You know, oh, that, not that, necessarily the last say. Prop, prop up again? Prop sure. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, upside down. Yeah, it kind of looks like a uh, one of those K-pop fan sticks, you know. K-pop. Light up. Yeah. Are you a fan of Dreamcatcher? No. I I have no idea what you're talking about. All right. Never mind. Let's <laughs> it looks like it's from Dairy Queen. <laughs> um, okay. This is going to be an interesting one uh, to answer. Keith wanted to know, why did they never ask in the few times that they met the ancients how to charge the ZPMs? Um, never came up in conversation? That's a very good question. I, uh, I would imagine, how, how often did we end up meeting the ancients? I mean, there was Aurora. Yep, there was Before I Sleep. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, there there weren't a lot, but you know, it's I I would think, I think in the heat of the moment. Yeah, that's true. Uh and and uh you know, we should have totally done a scene where, you know, and it's like Absolutely. Oh, you know what? You know what we should have done? We should have asked them how to recharge the ZPMs and they're like, oh next and then basically we do Aurora and we do another and it's like, oh shit, you know what we should have done? And he's like, Yeah, you should have <laughs> asked I'm like, okay, next time for sure. That's hanging a lantern on it, right? Uh, yeah. Well, the I mean, the obvious answer is um, you don't want to blow that handicap because then you know you're too powerful. Well, I mean, but I mean that's that's an obvious. Um, that's the that's the that, real that, reason. That's the, yes, that's yeah. that's the, the the creative production reason. Right, but in universe, no, the in story, yeah, in 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 universe reason, it you know, has to be a little more um, believable. Kappa, absolutely, mm-hmm. Kappa, yeah, and you know, you, there's. At, at a certain point, and I had this conversation with Rob Cooper this past week for a pre-recorded show. He said, at a certain point, you have to buy it. You know, mm-hmm. at a certain point, you know, the, you have to accept the fact that there are only so many actors in Vancouver who can, and they can't change their face every time they come on as a new as a new yeah. role. Yeah, I mean, who so, knew we would be doing three hundred episodes? You know, I I remember sitting in my bedroom in when I at 14 years old, 15 years old, season one mm-hmm. comes on in syndication saying to myself, you know, if they do the right thing with this, if they can change up the characters like mash did, this thing mm-hmm. could go on for a really long time, but mm-hmm. I never would have imagined 300 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I recall Paul telling me that he was on in a line, like some supermarket line. And there were these two actors um talking in front of him one in one of them was like oh i just booked a gig on stargate and uh the other guy was like oh, you know i've auditioned for them like three or four times and i still haven't landed anything for them and and he's like well from what i hear they're done anyways this season i think it was season seven of sg1 uh but you know 
I think we ended, did end up casting them. Uh, oh, you did? Him. Yeah, yeah, eventually. In, was uh, it because you were, was it, was no, it no, partially? It because, oh, it, no, it didn't at help at no. all. It just happened to be coincidence no. that they cast them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, Tom Macbeth shared a story uh, where uh, they were, you guys were doing, or they were doing a, a round, ta- a, a read through for mm-hmm. a script. And it was one of the earlier episodes where he was as Mayborn. Mm-hmm. And Michael Greenberg, who's uh, Rick's other half, writer-wise, was, uh, and executive producer-wise, was sitting there, gone, turning to him and saying, you know, why did you never audition for MacGyver? You would have been great. Mm-hmm. And Tom Macbeth leaned forward and he said, I auditioned several times and you never gave me a freaking part. And he, had, he did it with a smile mm-hmm. on his face, yeah. but it's like... You know, sometimes the shoe fits and sometimes it doesn't and you go with a different yeah. actor and it's yeah. all there is to it. It's completely subjective. Yeah. So. Yeah. You you just have, sometimes you write a part and you have someone yeah. in mind and sometimes you frankly cast the wrong actor. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, you know, I told you that Evangeline Lilly story where um, she came in and auditioned and it was for a one line role. And I was like, that's not you know, this burn is when her she was first starting, her, you know, her career, and I'm like, she's fantastic. I'm not going to burn her on one line. And then she went off to do Lost, and um, you know, that recurring Atlantis role uh, uh, went to someone else. Mm-hmm. But she did all right, and uh, regardless. Oh, absolutely, she did. Yeah. But she would just yeah. be magic on on yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, Atlantis. Kirsty Green, was there a route you almost took a character down, but? ended up changing your mind on on where you took them in terms of their their overall journey? I know it's kind of a broad question. In terms of overall journey, um, I don't I don't think there was like a, an overall journey that we had sort of mapped out that they wanted to to fall through on. Mm-hmm. The only uh, one of the roads not taken dealt with the whole uh, Taylor uh, pregnancy. And, yeah. you know, there was a, a brief internal discussion of making uh, John the father mm-hmm. uh, that uh, was uh, quickly quashed. Um, so in terms of creating the, that, that was the first one that really came, uh, comes to mind. But then in terms of other, um, you know, other paths, I can't really think of one. That would have been a big one. And I'm trying to remember yes. where you fell on that on that debate. Uh, I was actually neutral. Okay. I, I you know, I, I, at the time it was brought up, I thought it was kind of interesting. And, and I, you know, I didn't even have a chance to really process the pros and cons. I think it was pitched and I was, and thinking about it. And Paul at the time was like, no, there is no <laughs> way we can make him the father. And now? Um, I think that was the right call. I think um, okay. it would have done a disservice to the character. There was... There's a certain amount of wanting to leave the the characters detached, mm. and then you know you get the 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 reverse is the opportunity of either disaster or mm-hmm. true emotional payoff for mm-hmm. said characters when you reach the end of the show. Yeah, and part of me would love to have seen that relationship get um, really really tight. You know, imagine the prodigal uh, with the scene on the rooftop with Michael mm-hmm. batter, battling the, 
the mother and the father of that baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the Stargate Extinction movie, uh, I ended up killing off Kanan. Uh, and in the, la- the last scene finds Shepard and, uh, and, and uh, Tila on, you know, uh, where was it? On the, uh, on the balcony of Atlantis. And he's kind of consoling her. And they're having like a quiet moment together. The suggestion that, you know, who knows what the future holds. Yeah, you're leaving a door open. Yeah. So we can only hope. <laughs> uh, after year. Oh, Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Mm-hmm. Moderator Tracy. Joe, there are a lot of Dark Matter supporters in the chat. Uh, any updates that you might be able to to share with them? Sadly, no. Uh, I think I had mentioned uh, Netflix passed, sadly. Uh, so now it is in Jay Firestone's hands. He's the president of production uh, on, on Dark Matter. And so he is the one who sold the show initially. So he's gone out and uh, we're going to see what uh, what comes of it. I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, and I hate to say it, but the easiest thing for me to do is set up another show mm. and use the popularity of that show to um, set up a Dark Matter miniseries. So when yeah. that time comes, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I I, I totally get that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, take a, take advantage of, mm. of banking that um, uh, popularity where you can and saying, hey, by the way, we've got this thing mm. over here. Look at what yeah. George R. R. Martin did with Night Flyers. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse, on the Night Flyers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Gary Jordan, after years of Stargate not having love scenes, mm-hmm. whose idea was it to to put one into the pilot of Universe? I wouldn't really call that a love scene. Yeah, it well, was kind of what. Uh, well, yeah, that, sure? it was. It was a real left left turn yeah well i think that was brad and and, and robert i don't know who specifically came up with the idea but sort of their, their desire to really differentiate universe from what had come before yeah and really that scene certainly uh differentiates it from tonally from the likes of sg1 and atlantis and to to be fair in my mind uh, mm-hmm. For better or for, and there's going to be a lot of of, uh, of fans who are just going to disagree with me. In many respects, uh, in not because of that, but just tonally, universe felt more real in a lot of ways for me. In watching mm-hmm. it, it just it it felt like it was it. It just felt like for better or for worse that these characters were far more pos- plausible to exist. Yeah, I, I agree. It, fe- it it felt more real. Um... But that doesn't necessarily mean real is better. That's uh, true too. You know, that's a, that's so, a fair I mean, point. I, I mean, I loved a universe, and, and I mean, my, my wife loved universe too. It's, you know, I was I was amazed by how much she loved it, um, and she was she couldn't really get into Atlantis. Uh, but just from a writing standpoint, mm-hmm. um, you know, I look at like Dark Matter owes a lot more to uh, SG One and Atlantis than it does to Universe tonally and it just mm-hmm. you know i you know i i kind of like not necessarily the light-hearted tone the light-hearted tone but the opportunity for humor which uh, i think allows you to kind of you know color a character in ways that more kind of straightforward um productions that you know don't have humor uh have a harder time doing and it's 
a way to genuinely reach uh, the audience because, you know, anyone who's wanting to be entertained will at least be open to the um, avenues of humor. And I think that's one of the yeah. reasons that the, the franchise was as successful as it was because everyone gets that. Yes, I so. agree. Um, CJ Martin, uh, no one broke the wall in the writer's room. If Joseph could have done it, who would have chosen to do it? Broke the fourth wall. Broken the fourth wall? Huh? Yeah, I think I, I think that you guys really pulled that off in two hundred. If if you're if we're yeah. talking, I mean, we're not exactly saying that. Hey, you know, I'm Richard Dean Anderson, and I played Jack yeah, O'Neill yeah. in this episode. Yeah. You know, but there yeah. was a fair bit of winking yeah. and even, nodding. Even Wormhole Extreme. I mean, yeah. we were really poking fun at everything's from. Um, you know, or executive, uh, you know, some of the creative uh, input the from executive alien. to, yeah, the sexy female alien to, <laughs> you know, spray paint those, uh, those Kiwis, what is it, purple or, or, or what was that line? That was an actual line from Peter Dowry. Bites into a painted yeah. Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, we did, we did do a lot of that. No wall punching. Um, I mean, I think, in terms of production, our show was very different. Although I think the, you know, I, I've often said just Strike was always a very supportive atmosphere, even though it was mm-hmm. like it, it could be very challenging at times. Um, there was no really, any, so there's no animosity between any any of the writers and mm-hmm. and the those in charge. At the beginning, you know, very much Brad and Robert were always very good about listening to others and letting everyone have their opinion and, and say. Um, but I mean, I, I would hear stories, again, this was before the mood, uh, the atmosphere changed in Hollywoods where um, showrunners would come in and they would throw scripts at writers and uh, reprimand them. And, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I can't imagine someone throwing a script at me. If somebody, you know, regardless of who they were, uh, if someone threw a script at me, they would eat they would be eating that script. I would be doing it page by page. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Brian O'Neill, O'Neill Singleton. Uh, any, were, was there ever a thought on pursuing a gold wraith hybrid? This often comes up in fan No, this comes up a lot of the yeah. times. And, and I personally was never a fan of uh, crossing the two shows. Right. Um, I mean, you know, having the occasional character come in, that was fine. Pegasus project was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a great, it was a great episode, but I just, in general, I like to keep SG1, SG1 and Atlantis, Atlantis. So the idea of, uh, you know, of a sort of a cross, sort of a gold inhabiting a wraith was kind of interesting. Uh, You just obviously would have to find the right story. Right. Like, what do you gain how how is yeah. is is a you know a ghoul than a wraith any more of a threat than a regular wraith or a regular ghoul? ghoul right, exactly. You don't just want to do it just to do it. I mean, yeah. if if the wraith's handicap is hunger, and the ghoul wool provides them with perhaps a satiation, you know, mm-hmm. there could be I don't know. Anyway, yeah, there's the the one thing that you guys I think did that that was really successful, and it was within the same show was in Dominion. I think with putting Ball in Adria. Um, mm-hmm, but there mm-hmm. was a story reason for that, and it was clever. 
And mm-hmm. the question is, okay, Kit, does does Ball override Adria's dominant personality? And the answer mm-hmm. was yes. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. But for how long? We never will know. Right. <laughs> um. Uh, Ryeth Hunt, uh, did you guys know at the time in season three that uh, that Todd would become such a liked and recurring character? Christopher Heyerdahl is a powerhouse. No. Yeah, Chris was just incredible in the role. This, this is just kind of another example of you write a script, you create a character with the intention of them appearing in that single episode, mm. and then usually by virtue of the actor's performance this character ends up popping and you end up, you know, bringing the character back and, and, and just enjoy writing for the character because the actor does so much with what you give him. And it just, like I said, kind of a symbiotic relationship and, and the character evolves. And that was very much the case with, with uh, the Todd character. You've said that, you know, it's not just the writers or the actor. It's a combination of the two. Um, you're observing what the actor is doing well and the actor's pulling things off the page that you didn't necessarily always think, oh, I didn't necessarily intend it that way or, wow, they, they took that, that that direction. They they pulled it over the top. Yes, and, and I mean, not just, you know, in, in dailies or in episodes, but in auditions as well. Whenever people lose auditions, they get depressed because they think oh it's you know something I did and I keep and I always tell people it's not what you did or didn't do it's what someone something uh, someone else brought to their Mm. audition and it's exactly that you're talking about where you're watching an audition and you wrote the scene uh, and imagined it a certain way and then the actor delivers it in in a way that is totally unexpected that delights you and sets you know, their audition apart from all the others. And then you end up, you know, hiring them based on, 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 on that audition. And, you know, more often than not, that audition tends to be a microcosm of what you are looking for uh, in an overall performance in an episode. And in the case of uh, Chris with, uh, with Todd, you know, I don't recall the, the audition, mm. but I remember, what was the episode? It starts with a C. Could the, was it Condemned? His, uh, first his first episode? Yeah. Uh, it was in season three. I think it was John Scalzi's story, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, it was... Uh... I feel it was Condemned. No, it's not. No? No. Oh, Common Ground. season Sorry. two. Common Ground. Yeah. That's yeah. Sorry, it. that's what I meant. Yes. Sorry, I the sea. The one that starts with sea. Yes. Yeah. Was there any actor who you knew you were going to get and you were like, I, I cannot wait to put pen to paper for this person. Um, besides Robert Picardo. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Yeah. He, he was, you know, uh, someone I'd wanted to work with for a long time. And when I got the opportunity, it far surpassed my expectations just because I mean, you you see him on on Voyager and he and and you know China Beach and all the other stuff he's worked on and he's scene stealer. He's fantastic, and you know you can give him anything to do and he will deliver it. And so in that respect, he surpassed my expectations. But also, he's just a really really good guy to work with. Just absolutely a pro, 
and just very grounded down to earth uh, individual. So um, really, he's the one that that readily comes to mind. My best friend and I, we had uh, until I left Phoenix, we we had movie night every week. And yeah. last year I saw Inner Space for the first time. Yeah. And so I the the cowboy character that he did, I mean, mm-hmm. I had heard about it, but I'd never seen it. Man, was that good. <laughs> that was just great. Yeah. It's like I've known this actor for years personally, and I've never seen this performance. Yeah. So Inner Space, I cannot recommend it enough mm-hmm. if you're a Robert Picardo fan. He is funny. He is great. Oh, so another actor... I should mention is uh, Ming Na Wen, oh. who we ended up casting on Universe, and of yes. course I've seen a number from Joy Luck Club and various other performances. And much like Bob, just a pro, um, you know, you could she would uh, just you know deliver time and time again, no matter what you gave her, she she could do, um, and also just really really fun to work with mm-hmm. just a great great attitude we've wanted to have her on the show we we're mm-hmm. she's she's agreed but it's just a matter of scheduling so right she's in the book of boba fett like an address book or what, what is, is that i think it's uh i i think the implication is similar like to like a biblical book like this is his story you know okay. like the book of job so so not a not an address book Definitely not. Okay. That would be more fun. It'd be like <laughs> Boba Fett loses his address book and sort of like, like, oh, what happened? And then basically, or someone finds his address book and it's like, we don't know whose address book it is. And uh, anyways, I want to pitch that to Disney. I think season for, two. Uh, there you yeah, go. Maybe. Yeah. Um, S- Sabina Pilchova, last last one for you. Um, mm-hmm. Any regrets regarding a character or a storyline that, that, I mean, clearly hasn't gnawed on you over the years, but not on you at the time, you know, after, afterwards. I was like, you know what? Uh, I really wish I could go back and tweak this one thing. Yes, all the time, but I can't read yeah. off the top of my head. I mean, basically, I would have loved to get Sam and Jack together. I know, like, some fans... Uh, some. D- yes, would not want to see that. But I think, you know, it would have been nice after 10 years. And it wouldn't have to be even overt. It's like, you know, heading back home, you know, Jack's making dinner or something. <laughs> You know, uh, that I'm trying to think of sort of the uh, kind of our various characters. And I, in terms of regret, I don't think so. I mean, there was some, uh, no, I mean, I, 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 I can only speak to ultimately sort of the stories in which I was actively involved. I mean, you know, I can't say like I regret any of the ancient storylines because they're very much part of the mythology of the, the show. Mm-hmm. I just, they're just stories that personally never interested me. That's fair. I really wish that Anna Louise Plowman had come back. Mm-hmm. I Who? really wish this, uh, Anna Louise Plowman. Oh, yeah. Cyrus. I was... wish that, that yeah, there was a yeah. story opportunity yeah. that would have yeah. come back in as a coda. She was dynamite. She was. Yeah. So this has been a pleasure, my friend, having you on. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And I thank you for, for taking the time. And I want to thank everyone for submitting, um, uh, uh, the questions, um, same time and place in December. 
Sure, let's do it. Okay, sounds good. All right. I'll uh, I'll reach out to your agent and we will schedule that time. Excellent, so, excellent, Joe. Uh, Thanks again. Many thanks for for being a part of this journey with me and for taking the time with the fans. We all really do appreciate it. And you give that pupper a hug for us, okay? I will. A big kiss on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Have uh, I'll see you before Christmas. You you have a you all have right. a good November. All right, sir. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Take care of yourself. I'll close things out hey on guys. my end. Bye bye. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer from Stargate SG One Atlantis and Universe. And I promised to show you guys a few pieces behind me here from our new set. So, uh, questions for me. Everyone in the chat want to know how you're doing and did you have a good summer? Thank you. I had a terrific summer. It was interesting. I had four months off from work and relocating from um, from Phoenix to uh, Nashville. I don't know if you can hear that dog barking outside, but um, I'm in a much more rural area now. And uh, ironically, I have fiber (laughs) now for the first time. I don't know if you're able to tell a difference on your end, but the speed at which um, I'm able to upload information is substantially faster. Um, So things uh, things are, are going well. My life is a little bit more complicated than it was before and i say complicated in that my weekends are going to be a little bit busier so we are going to be taking weekends off here and there i think right now the plan is to take uh u.s thanksgiving weekend off because i'm going to be out at san diego comic-con special edition working on a project so uh don't expect 100 episodes (laughs) in season two (laughs) I can't do it. <laughs> we may, I mean, hit close to that, but I, right, the velocity um, of of the show will not be as breakneck as it was for season uh, one. And I'm hopeful that the overall quality uh, of of the show will increase as well. So keep that in mind. Couple of things I want to show you guys. Firstly, um, new house, new set. And a little bit more of a tighter room, as you might be able to tell. So the stuff behind me is closer than it was before. And my hope is to rotate some of it uh, here and there. This summer, I had some submissions from fans uh, for the set. And I would like to show a few of those pieces to you right now. Uh, Later on uh, this season... Uh, I'm going to uh, be inviting these individuals on to discuss their work and their process and and take a a better look at the things behind us. But I wanted to give you a real quick look all the same here. This little fella is um, one that needs no introduction. His brother is still being mailed to me right now. The second kind of configuration that I think was introduced in in Enemies, um, the smaller version. But this is the one that was introduced in... um, of course, Nemesis. This is a life-size replicator produced by Kevin Sabo and 3dtech.pro. And I'm just going to do one of these because it is a complicated piece of hardware. And uh, one of my life goals of owning a replicator has been achieved. So Kevin did magnificent work. 
I mean, it's, it's, there are no words. It is absolutely amazing. So I'm going to put this back down. And I think those are still available at 3dtech.pro. This little guy, Nakoda Reactor. This was submitted by Martin McLean. His Twitter is at SGA Gate Builder. And I hope to feature him uh, later on uh, this season. He is, these, his pieces came in clamshell boxes, like military grade. Spectacular. And it lights. His work is so cool. This is a guy who you can tell cares about the, um, the minute details. That's the battery door. And I mean, that's, if you want to talk about really cool, I mean, even, even here, the backside of this is in, in ancient and he's thought it all through just absolutely clever. And then he also has done his own version of the ancient scanner. So now here's the one that was, that he has designed. Here's my battered to hell one that was used in production. And his actually works. So you can scan And I think you can, um, it'll initiate a, a, uh, an attack scenario. The dude is just freaking clever. And he put an, an Atlanta sticker on the back. He even put like a glow inside of the device itself. So it is, um, one of the cooler replicas that I've seen where he he literally wanted to create like a device that is in the spirit of the actual device and you can you can play with it the buttons and toggles and then it has that base station as well and the version that I got has the uh, the clamshells so it's uh, Martin's done an amazing job and I'm looking forward to to having him uh, on this season a lot more um Fan interaction is going to be coming this year uh, in terms of uh, fans who have designed content, and I really intend to feature them uh, more specifically. There is another fan that I have to give a tremendous uh, shout-out to, Frederick uh, Marcoux in Canada. Drumroll, please. Has redesigned our website. Brand new website. So GateWorld was um, presenting us for season one. For season two, uh, we are standing on our own two feet. And huge thanks to Darren for giving us the opportunity uh, to work with him. The The clips will will continue to appear on GateWorld. Our partnership has not ended. But we're, we're moving away from leveraging GateWorld's um, name recognition and trying to, to stand on all fours or all twos. Stand up straight. 
So that has uh, taken off into a new direction, including uh, rebuilding the website. So let me see here. Okay. Dialthegate.com is now live on its new website. And you can go to it just by dialthegate.com. So there's a couple of uh, things here that are really cool. The uh, upcoming shows are going to be on the right. Please, God, help me always have time to uh, update that. We have an exclusive poll that's going to be available on the site. We're going to be using polls to uh, help us flesh out a lot of the fan content as we move forward here. And you can see our most uh, recent videos here. The uh, the live event counter is uh, here, and I'm hoping to get more familiar with this interface so that we can always keep it uh, fresh and current. And all of our current videos are below here as well in this really schnazzy, pretty, colorful interface. So it takes advantage of all the, uh, the rainbow colors that I kind of uh, uh, go nuts with, and you can see all of the content right there. If you want to look at individual episodes, and just pardon my pardon me, this is a Firefox issue. Um, you can access them here. The interviews themselves, from zero from one to one hundred and one, are all listed here, so you have access to that, and you can um, also uh, view them based on each of the individual playlists that exist on uh, YouTube. The podcast, you guys have been asking, and I am finally beginning to deliver. So we are now on iTunes and Google Play. So we are, I'm at episode 22. I still have a little bit of a ways to go. Uh, so the, give me a, a couple of weeks on this to, to catch up and all the backlog of content is going to be finally available in podcast format. So you are welcome. And this has been quite the task to, to figure out, but, uh, Frederick and I have managed to, to straighten it out. And so we've got that going here. In addition, we also have new merchandise and a new store. That is through uh, my spread shop. So the merchandise is now launched and there's, there is a lot more content. I'd like to share a few of them with you. Uh, I'd rather be watching Stargate. I missed Stargate for this. I'm taking this loop off. Got gate. Tokra in the streets. Gold in the sheets. Uh, a Disney-inspired design for Atlantis. I knew Thor before it was cool. Shelkek Nemron in white and black design. I'm a gold without my caffeine in wh white and black design. And of course, Keep Calm and Dial the Gate. Those are just uh, the the first few additions that we have here. If you so here's the thing with with the merch portal right now. On the website, it only displays each piece, each style with only one item and I we're going to have to make a correction so that like it's the perfect analogy burns as go out. Well, that's, that's great. But, um, I want that in something other than a man's t-shirt. I'm not sure how to get to that from here other than to go to open it in a new tab to go actually to the, my spread shop portal and show more and go down to that design 
it's the perfect analogy. Burns as Goa Old. You had met me at Indeed. I think that's the cutest thing. Um, and Nintendo's passed through everything, of course. You can click here on the design and then see all the merchandise that is available in It's the Perfect Analogy Burns as Goa Old. So what I'm trying to do, if we can update the website, is have it so that this page is the page that's default, the, the page that shows the designs. And then if you click on a design, you can then see how you can uh, get that design in the various products. And then you can click on a product and customize your color uh, and size and go from there. Uh, because each each product has numerous different designs. Like, so lose it. Go crazy, nuts, insane, bonzo. No longer in possession of one's faculties. Three fights short of a Happy Meal, wacko. It's uh, been most commonly featured as as a mug on the YouTube website. But you can get it in all kinds of different designs. So if you want to explore the designs, my recommendation is to go to dialthegate.com slash merch. And then for the time being, open in new tab. And then show more so that you can see all of the designs. And then if you click on a design, things are about to calm up. How about we name it later? Nintendo's passed through everything. Then you can see all the products that are available for that design. Click on the product you want and customize the color and size. So good luck keeping all that in your brain. But yes, so you can visit uh, the merchandise at uh, dialthegate.myspreadshop.com. And we appreciate your support. The show is 100% free. And so if you want to give back, that's a way to do it. Buy yourself uh, some something cool for the holiday season. I think that's all that we have for you here. My tremendous thanks um, to Frederick for helping us uh, build out the website. Oh, let me show you his website just so that you have uh, a look at that here. His website, if we go to our about page is available through Concepts Web, and he is at conceptsweb.ca. He is our web developer. I love this guy. He's just he's just terrific. He's been such um, a huge supporter of us. So big thanks to Mr. Frederick Marcou. And a big thanks to my moderating team, Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony. You guys make this show possible. A big thanks to my producer, Linda Gate-Gabber-Fury. We've got Colin Cunningham coming up in a half an hour. We have him for one hour, and then we are bringing in Mr. David Hewlett, Rodney McKay. That's it. That's what we have for you. I appreciate you tuning in. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate, and we will see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producers are Darren Sumner and Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The moderators are Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design is by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots. The webmaster is Frederick Marcoux. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Frederick Marcoux. For inquiries, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thanks for listening.